Thank you, Bruce, and also Butch. If you would, turn your Bibles. At least get your notes out for our study tonight. While you're turning there, just let you know, I think I announced this last several weeks, is we're going to make some changes in our prayer sheet. There's so many names on there that we don't even know uh, who they are, and some have been known for months or some years. And so we're going to basically start back over. And so if you have a name on there, you want it to remain on the prayer sheet, please call the church office. We'll make sure it stays on there. But so many of them we're going to remove because we don't know what's going on and how they're, uh, how they're doing and something like that. So we do want to make sure we have the name on there that you like or request. We'll make sure that is. But keep that in mind for any future. We're going to make some changes to the prayer sheet in the coming weeks. Also, uh, thank you for praying for I appreciate Lou praying for me tonight. I'm very grateful. I hope you continue to pray for me. It's a quick update on my condition. As many of you know, because of my heart attack, my bottom of my heart was damaged. And when I went to, uh, uh, I went to ther- uh, cardiac therapy rehab for 13 weeks, three days a week, and they thought it would strengthen it, but when they did echocardiogram, it did not. It was the same as it was after the heart attack. And so they uh, put in my chest a pacemaker because my heart rate was in the 40s. And my blood pressure was in the high 80s and low 90s. And so now, because of the pacemaker, my heart rate is in the 60s, and my blood pressure is in the low 100s. So I am doing better. I have a little more stamina. But uh, at the end of the day, I feel like somebody beat me with a tired stick. I'm very wore out. And so eventually, I do want to get back doing the evening services. I am doing the morning services now, both morning services and also Wednesday night service. And eventually, want to get back to the doing the evening services. Eventually, I'm so grateful for my pastoral staff. They do an outstanding job. In fact, I thought they're doing too good a job. You might not want me to come back because <laughs> they're doing a wonderful job. I'm so grateful for them filling in. So, if you would pray for me, my, as he said, my voice is a little raspy. I do bring water up here for that, and I had to go to speech therapy uh, to help my voice. And so, I have to make sure I do what they taught me to do. So, but anyway, I do comfort your continual prayer for me. It is working, and I'm getting better, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. So if you take out your notes, please, we'll continue our study on the names of God. We're talking about the descriptive names. We looked at several different names, types of names given in the Bible. And tonight, we'll continue our study on names that describe the character and the attributes of our God. Descriptive names... These names are based upon God's attributes. They outline uh, God's qualities based upon his actions in biblical history. We've looked at eight so far. We looked at the word avenging. We looked at the word terrible. Now, that's a word that comes across in our language. It's not good. But the word, if you translate it, it may be something like awesome. He's an awesome God. Uh, He's everlasting. He's faithful. He's forgiving. He's good, he's gracious, and he's merciful. I'm so grateful for those. I always wondered if someone wanted to use a word to describe me, what would they, what word would they use? If, uh, if uh, God, if somebody wanted to describe you, what word would they use? And so these are words given to God describing his person, his character. And so, again, those words are being faithful, forgiving, good, gracious. Would that, could that be said of you? Are you faithful? Are you good? Are you gracious? Are you merciful? My friend, these are attributes and names that describe our God. What a wonderful God we have. 
And we know his goodness, his forgiveness and graciousness best displayed at the cross. At the cross of Calvary, our God took on human flesh and there died in our place. You know, we're all sinners, are we not? We've all done things wrong. And because of that, we've earned the judgment of a holy God. But what God did, instead of wanting us to pay the penalty, he sent his son to pay the penalty for us. And there on the cross, bearing our sin and shame, God the Father punished his son in our behalf for what we've done wrong. He died, was buried, and rose again. And he offers us eternal life free at no expense or cost to us because Jesus paid the price. He finished the work, and our responsibility is simply believe, to receive, to trust Christ as Savior. So number nine, let's continue our study. And hopefully we'll finish up the names, the descriptive names of God tonight. Because remember, next Wednesday night begins our Summer Bible Institute. Don't forget to sign up for that, okay? Number nine, the ninth word, descriptive word, is the word great. The word great. The meaning is, in the Bible, the word great means important, powerful, or distinguished, according to the context. The word great means important, powerful, or distinguished. The application of this word is this title is often given to God in his superiority, his power, his worthiness, and uniqueness. As compared to the false gods Israel will begin to accept, many times that Scripture refers to the God of Israel as a great God. If you want to turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel, please. 2 Samuel. We'll turn in most of these to one verse that uses these descriptive words, and then other people on the screen will look at them together. Our God's great. How many believe that our God is a great God? Amen. And we realize all he does and what he's done for us. We can't help but say what a powerful what uh, important, what great God we have. In 2 Samuel 7, 22, 2 Samuel, in the Old Testament, again, these are Old Testament names. We'll eventually get back and look at New Testament titles given to our God. But these are primarily from the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, 2 Samuel 7, 22. Here Samuel says, Wherefore thou art great. O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Here Samuel refers to God as a great God. And again, notice the words that, O Lord God. See how well you remember, how well you pay attention. If you notice the word Lord, there's all capitals. And what is that? It's the name of God, but what is his name? Jehovah. So anytime you see the word Lord, all capitals, that refers to Jehovah, and the next word is Elohim. And so basically, uh, how great he is. In Psalm 48, verse 1, it'll be on the screen, it says, Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. And you'll see that word used many times by David in the Psalms, but our God is great. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5, it said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great, and yet there's that word again, terrible, which means awesome God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. So the first descriptive name we look at tonight about our God, he's a great God. Number two, the second one, which 
probably the most used word to describe our God is the word holy. The word holy. Our God's a great God, but he also is a holy God. The word holy means sacred, set apart, pure, or blameless. Our God, the one we worship, is set apart from all other false gods. He's pure and he's blameless. Application of this word, it says throughout Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, God is insistent that his people be holy because he's holy. God wants you and I to be holy because, my friend, he is holy. Of all his attributes, none is more emphasized in the Bible than God's holiness. He is a holy God. If you would please, uh, in fact, I think the verse will be on the screen. Leviticus 20. Look what it says here. Leviticus 20 and verse 26. He said, and speaking to his people, and ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be what? Mine. So here God tells his people, you are to be holy. That means pure, set apart, blameless, because my friend, God's holy. And the best way you and I can represent the God of heaven is by living a holy life. First Peter chapter 1, Peter quoted this verse, and it's true of us today in the New Testament. First Peter 1.15, it said, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That written goes back to Leviticus. So God calls upon you and I, because he's holy, blameless, pure, set apart, that we are to be the same as him. Now, I think I will not have you turn here, but many of you know Isaiah, the scripture reference, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw a vision of king sitting upon the, after the king uh, died, Uzziah died. Let me quote it for you. You know the verse. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, in the year that king Uzziah died, I, Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it, I said, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Verse 3, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Angels of heaven ascribe to our God of being holy. Notice it's used three times. Number three is the number of affection but also if it can refer to the Trinity. Each aspect of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are holy. And this is a descriptive name of our God. My friend, our God is great. Yes, he is. Our God is holy. And number 11, our God is also jealous. Yes, Amen. Our God is jealous. There's another word to describe our God. The word jealous means envious desirous or protective again the word jealous describing our god is envious desirous or protective the application is this throughout scripture god whose love and jealousy for his people reveals his desire for their undivided loyalty and service god desires our undivided loyalty love and service would please go to Exodus 34 please Exodus 34 
We're seeing a verse here. First, our God is a jealous God. You know, in man, usually jealousy is a, uh, in, in a negative way and a sin in man, but not in God. God becomes jealous when his people serve or worship other gods because our God alone is worthy of our praise and worship and our service. But sometimes God's people worship false gods. We know Israel is very guilty of that. And because of that, the Bible said God become very jealous. Exodus 34, verse 12. Verse 12, God says, Take heed to yourselves, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be a, for a snare in the midst of thee. Verse 13. But ye shall destroy your altars, break their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is what? Jealous is a jealous God. Notice God give his, his name. God says his name is jealous, referring to himself, is a jealous God. Go me now to Joshua 24, please. Joshua 24. Again, these are words describing the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament. Joshua 24. We're going to look at a verse that many of you know so well. But Joshua 24, let's begin in verse 14. Again, we're going to see the Bible describes our God, the God of the Old Testament, as jealous. Joshua 24, verse 14, please. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Serve Jehovah there. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. Then he says, verse 16, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is it that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in the way wherein we went among all the people through which, whom we have passed. Verse 18, And the Lord drave out from, from before us the people, even the Amorites which dwell in the land. Therefore, we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. In verse 19, and Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a what? Jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. Then he will turn when you hurt and consume you. After that, you have done you, uh, after you've done you good. In verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, Nay, but we will what? So they were living in a land where people served other gods, and God made it clear, if you want my blessings, you want my uh, help in life, you need to serve me. And you serve other gods, God becomes very jealous of your service and your love to other gods. 
Do not turn there, but I think a verse will be on the screen. I think it's James chapter 4 on there. Look what it says there on the screen. Here's the New Testament. James 4 verse 4. He says to these believers, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is a what? Basically, here talks about adultery, but not physical, but spiritual adultery. And so many Christians commit spiritual adultery by becoming a friend of the world. When God's people become like the world, it refers to that as being spiritual adultery. In fact, look in verse 5. He said, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to what? I believe the Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. When you and I become like the world, become worldly Christians, my friend, the Spirit that lives inside of us begins to lust me, desire to the point of envious to control us. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be under our, his control and not like the world. But when we become friendship with the world, we become enemies of God. And my friend, God becomes very jealous to the point of envious because he wants to. We have a relationship with the world and not him. God becomes envious because our God's a great God, a holy God. He's also a jealous God. Number four or number 12, the fourth one I'm looking at tonight is living. Living is another word describing our God. The meaning means alive, active, or existing. This is in contrast to the false gods that Israel were turning to. Application, God is often called the living God. In Israel's confrontations with heathen nations, probably to contrast with their lifeless idols. We know many times Israel would make idols like the heathen would and worship them. And God referred himself as the living God because the false gods were what? Were dead. <laughs> they were not alive. What a contrast. And so if you have your Bibles, turn now to Jeremiah chapter 10, please. Jeremiah 10. We're going to see here how Israel began to make false gods and bow down and worship them. And God contrasted himself as a living God compared to them, the, the dead idols. Jeremiah 10, please. Jeremiah 10. In verse 1, look what he says in verse 1, please. Jeremiah 10, verse 1. To hear ye the word of the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at, this, uh, dismayed at them. Verse 3 For the customs of the people, to about the heathen people, are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of a forest, and one of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also it is in them to do good. So basically, Israel began to do the same thing. They go in the wood, cut down a tree. They carve up an uh, idol figure of some kind of god. They'd overlay it with gold and silver. They'd put it in the house and fall down and worship it. 
And God says not to do that. And look, look down in verse 10, please. Notice the contrast, verse 10. He says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the what? The living God. An everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall be able, not be able to abide his indignation. So basically, God contrasts himself to these false idols that were made by the hands of men, dead, to himself who is living. How am I grateful that we serve a living God? And by the way, we serve a living Savior. Though he died on the cross, he was buried and he rose again and lives today. Many of you know this verse. Be on the screen. And this is David when he confronted the giant Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to him that killeth this Philistine? Take it and taketh away the reproach from Israel. And who is it, this uncircumcised Philistine, that should defy the armies of the what? Living God. Israel served were armies of the living God. Philistines, the armies of a dead God. The contrast. Number 13. Number 13. The next name, we saw that our God's a great God, a holy God, a jealous God, a living God, but number 13, a mighty God. A mighty God. The word mighty means strong. In fact, this word is only used to describe the God of the Bible. He's a mighty God. Application. This word is attributed to God, especially in fighting for his people. A mighty God. Let me read the scripture for you. In Jeremiah 20, verse 11. Jeremiah 20, verse 11. In fact, do you, are you still in Jeremiah from before? Turn to me to ver- chapter 20, please. Jeremiah 20. Should be easy for you to find. And look for the word describing our God as mighty. Jeremiah 20, verse 11. Verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, and there's that word again, terrible. It means awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. So again, talking about the enemies of Israel, and here Jeremiah says, my God is a mighty God. And the the false gods shall not prevail. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Psalm 132, verse 3. It says, How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. And the word mighty is another word describing our God of the Bible. Number 14. This one and one more. And we'll be done for tonight. Number 14. Another term describing our God. Number 14 is righteous. Righteous. This goes along with the word holy. But it's another term God gives to himself in the Bible. The meaning is just, right, or correct. According to the context, we serve a righteous God, a just God who is right who is always correct. He makes no mistakes because he's righteous. Application, God is righteous and loves righteousness. His righteousness cannot stand or tolerate wickedness. 
when we allow wickedness to sin in our lives, it detests God because God is righteous. It's contrary to his character. He's holy. He is righteous. These verses will be on the screen. Psalm 11, verse 7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. By the way, do you love righteousness? I hope you do because our God does. Psalm 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Psalm 129, verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. So another word describing our God is righteous. All right, we're just about done here. Our God, according to the Bible, is great. He's holy. He's jealous. He's uh, living. He's mighty. He's righteous. And lastly, which I love this one, he's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. How many glad God's slow to anger? By the way, does that describe you? So many Christians are just the opposite. They're so unlike God, they're quick to get angry. They do not rule the spirit well, according to Proverbs. The meaning is patient or long-suffering. The meaning is patient or long-suffering. I'm so glad God is patient and long-suffering with me. Application. This quality of God, talking about being long, slow to anger, is cited as reason for those backslidden to return to the Lord. This quality of God is cited as a reason for those backslidden to return to the Lord. My friend, you may be here physically, but how are you spiritually? Maybe you are backslidden from the Lord. You've put on a good front before us. We all think well of you spiritually, but how, what does God think of you? And maybe you're backslidden. My friend, there's any reason why you ought to return to the Lord because of the fact he's slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is patient with you. And what a motivation to return to the Lord. Let me give you a book to find. Give you 10 minutes to find. Go to the book of Joel, please. The book of Joel. One of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. There may be one you might have to look at the table of contents for. And here this verse is speaking to those who are backslidden and how they ought to turn to the Lord because he is slow to anger. Joel chapter 2, please. Joel chapter 2. This verse and a couple more, then we're going to close with one verse in the book of Peter and we'll be done for tonight. Joel chapter 2, please. Joel 2, in verse 12, Joel 2. In verse 12, it says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Verse 13. And rend your heart not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is what? He's gracious and merciful. And here it is, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of evil. My friend, what words describe our God? I don't know about you. When I read this about my God, I want to serve him more. I want to worship him more. I want to love him more because he is 
gracious and merciful and slow to anger toward me and toward all of us. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, David says, and plenteous in mercy. What we need the most, God is plenteous in mercy. And Nahum 1, 3, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. My friend, turn to me and we'll the last verse. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, please, and we'll close with this tonight. 2 Peter 3. You know, when you see all this going on in our society, in our world, sometimes it seems like God is sitting back doing nothing. And we wonder why God does not bring judgment. It's like rain out there is what that is. We wonder why God does not bring judgment yet. When you see what these people are doing for abortion against uh, pro-life people, you say, where's the Lord? What's he doing? Why isn't he doing something? In Second Peter chapter 3, here's the reason why. Second Peter 3. In fact, I had you turn there and I didn't turn there myself. Second Peter chapter 3. Yes, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9, please. It says, the Lord is not slack... Concerning his promise. The promise here is of his coming. It says here, as some men count slackness. The word slackness means tardy. God is always on time. It said, it said he's not slack concerning his promise, but is what? Long-suffering means slow to anger. And it says toward who? Us. Toward us word. Not willing that any should perish but that all should come to what? When you see God seem like he's very tolerant of people's evil and sin and doing nothing about it, man, my friend, chalk that up to God's long-suffering. God could and will one day bring judgment upon this earth. But the reason he has not, because he wants people to get saved. He wants people to come to Christ and all his patience his long-suffering because he is slow to get angry. You know, we're so grateful he's that way in our lives. But sometimes we get upset with him he's that way in other people's lives. <laughs> we want God, get him, get him now. But Lord, be patient with me. <laughs> so let's be grateful that God's long-suffering. Maybe you're here tonight and you've, you've heard so much about the Lord Jesus Christ. you heard that he's died on the cross for your sin. And he offers you forgiveness, eternal life, and you have not come to him. And, and, and you wonder why God hasn't done anything in your life. My friend, because he is long-suffering. And he's not willing that you should perish. It means die and go to hell. But that you might uh, come to repentance. It means a change of mind about who you are and who he is and the way of salvation. The way of salvation is free gift, eternal life. So if you never trusted Christ, why not do that tonight? If you have, let's thank God. Remember these several names, prescriptive names, that God is great. I remember saying that as a child, God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for our food. God is great, God is good. Let's thank him for our food. <laughs> but anyway, God is great, God's holy, jealous, living, mighty, righteous, and slow to anger. Let's praise him these words to describe our God. Let's bow together, please.
As her heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, these words describe the God of the Bible. He's a merciful, compassionate God. He's also a holy, righteous God. In his holiness, he made the statement, the soul that sinneth, it must die. We all have sinned. We've all broken God's laws, commandments. We've all offended the holy God of heaven. And because of that, we all have earned, deserve his punishment. That's his justice. His holiness demands righteousness. His justice demands a payment. But also, God is merciful. God's merciful, doesn't want you to pay for your sin. So he sent his son to pay the debt for you. That God loved you so much, he sent his son to this earth to die in your stead to pay the penalty that you owe. And he offers you eternal life as a free gift. And his love, he provided a savior and offers you salvation. If you have never received God's free gift of eternal life, why not do that tonight? Why not simply take God at his word and trust Jesus Christ as your savior? He's been very patient with you, been very long suffering with you, but he desires you to come to him as your savior and trust him to take you to heaven when you die. If you haven't done that, my friend, you can do it right now. You can get it settled. You make that decision here tonight. Right where you're sitting, you can talk to God in your own thoughts. Only he knows your thoughts. You cannot go wrong. And you can trust in him to be your savior. And the Bible says the moment you do that, he'll forgive you and give you a home in heaven. He'll forgive you and give you eternal life. So if you never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not do it right now? Why not talk to him? Again, in your own thoughts, maybe just say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I admit, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment. But God, I realize and I believe that Jesus Christ was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, Jesus Christ took upon himself. The one who knew no sin became sin for me. And he was punished in my place. I believe he died for me, was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here tonight, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. And forgive me and give me eternal life. I trust him to be my savior here tonight. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service. My friend, did you pray that prayer tonight? Did you trust Christ? If you did, according to the Bible, right now, heaven's your home. God saves you the moment you trust him. But I would like to know if anyone did that tonight. I would simply like to pray for those who made that decision. I'm not going to put you on the spot or have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. But I would like to pray for you. So I'm going to ask for those who did that tonight for the first time. With heads bowed and eyes are closed, and only, no one be put on the spot. If you would, right where you're at, if you simply just raise your hand so I can pray for you. You know what, all pastor, here's my hand. I trust the Christ tonight. Would you pray for me? You know what, all? Father, I hope that means each one here has already made that decision, trusted you as Savior, that heaven's your home. We're so grateful for the words in the Bible that describe what a wonderful God you are. 
and how you are worthy of our loyalty, our love, our service. And Father, when we look to other things other than you for peace, comfort, and strength, you become jealous because only you deserve our worship, our love, our admiration, and our service. Help us to keep that in mind that our God's a loving God, but also he's a jealous God when we become like the world or look to the world for happiness and fulfillment. Father, bless each one here tonight. Bring us back to the next point hour in Christ's name we pray. Amen.